Like it's, it's a book that every time I read it, I'm more amazed at the profound truth that's in here. It was a book that Paul wrote to a group of churches. It wasn't written to one church, but all the churches up in an area in Asia Minor, up above like Turkey, where Turkey is. And, and these churches were basically Gentiles who came to the Lord under Paul's ministry on his first couple missionary journeys, and, and they, they received the gospel with joy, but the problem is now there were people who were polluting the gospel, who were coming in and telling them, it's not enough just to become a Christian. You also need to follow the Jewish law. You also need to follow the rules. And so these Judaizers, these legalists, were coming in and taking the simplicity of the gospel and complicating it, basically taking man-made religion and putting it on top of what the gospel is. And remember, it's so important to understand that Christianity is different from every other religion. We sometimes say it's not a religion. I think that may be a silly distinction. But the basis of every religion is man trying to get to God. But the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what God did to get to man. And that's a, an important distinction. If we're not careful, we'll find that the simplicity of our faith in Jesus Christ, our belief in the gospel will become distorted and polluted by man-made elements that are injected into the mix. We saw last week that the gospel, pure and simple, it's that Jesus Christ God became a man, died for our sins, took our sins upon himself, died, rose from the dead, declared that if we just have faith in him, that he will show his grace to us. And so a relationship with God, it can happen just because of what he has done. And our job as a believer in him is to allow him to do that work in our lives. But the book of Galatians is going to explore what happens when something messes that up. When man-made elements come in and twist and distort the simple truth of the gospel. And this is something that is as important to us as it was to the Galatians. This morning, we'll start with verse 6. And by the way, if you hear a buzz, it's just in your head. I don't hear anything. (laughs) Verse 6. Paul says, I marvel. Now, this word marvel here is, is used other places to mean, wow, this is amazing. He's being sarcastic. He's going, wow, you guys are amazing what's happened to you. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. For even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed." or literally in the Greek, anathema, condemned, damned. As we have said before, so now I say it again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The gospel. What he's saying is, You take what the gospel is and you add something to it. It's not a new, improved version. If you add something to it, it's destroyed. It's worthless. It's nothing. If we say, obey the law and accept the grace of God, 
If we lay the gospel out as being, here's what it is. You understand what God has done for you. You receive his grace. And now you start doing what he tells you to do. And you start obeying. And here are the steps. And here's what you ought to be like. To do that isn't just to distort it. It perverts the gospel completely. The law was given to show us what we cannot do. And so to take that kind of a standard and slide it in there along with the gospel and to say it's grace and works is to not be a gospel at all, is to, is to destroy that which Jesus died to accomplish. And that's true, and that's dangerous. And he doesn't fault the believers, but he goes after the leaders, and you're going to see it throughout this book. He pronounces anathema, damnation, on people who are distorting the truth of the simplicity of the gospel. And he goes after them big time. The gospel, the word means good news. But here, as he says, a different gospel in verse 6. And then in verse 7, which is not another. Now, I'm reading from the New King James. If you have the King James or other versions, sometimes they're the same words. They're different and another. They'll say, you know, it's another and another. But it's proper to translate them as two different words because they are two different words in the Greek. Now, the word in verse 6 there, a different gospel in our version, that's the word heteros. And you know we get a lot of words from heteros, but what heteros means is someone else of a different kind, something else of a different kind. Now, in verse 7, when it says it's not really another, the word there in the Greek is alos. They're both translated another in a lot of places, but alos means another of the same kind. It's someone very close to or something very much related. It's another one, but they're the same. What he's saying here is you're going to something that's a completely different deal. That gospel isn't just a a twisting or a stretching. It's not another one of the same kind at all. Another way to put this is he said, you heard the good news, but what you are listening to and the rule by which you are living as you fall into legalism and you you neglect the, the truth of the grace of God, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, you are leaving good news and that which you are buying into, you may call it good news, but it's not good news at all. Anytime we believe that the Christian life is something that we need to do, that isn't good news. Because the truth is, we can't do it. It's what they were supposed to learn from the law. And it's what you learn every year when you make new rules for your life and all of, already you've missed a couple of workouts and you've eaten a few donuts. And you just, it doesn't matter what rules you create, we can't follow the rules. And so if we boil our religion down to it's what I believe and it's what I do, and so I've just got to do this, you're doomed for failure. The bad news is you can't do it. You can have all the good intentions, but what the truth of the gospel is is that you can't do anything in and of yourself to earn a relationship with God. It doesn't work. You try it. If you live your life by the most simple rule imaginable, you can't even follow that rule. We're we're condemned. 
And the sad thing is, as Paul explains here, you didn't just leave good theology. You know, it'd be one thing if, and, and we all do this, we dabble in heresy, we, you know, have certain things that we believe and then all of a sudden we start believing something else. We're so gullible, it's real easy for us to believe things that aren't true. You know, how can people believe that, that, for instance, that there are Martians buzzing around and kidnapping people and analyzing them and plopping them back down again and cutting crop circles? And do, you know, all kinds of people believe that stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. You look at it and go, it's crazy. Now, there may be some of you who have been abducted by aliens and you're going, you just don't know. Okay, I don't know. But this isn't that kind of a deal. This isn't, that's not what we're talking about. It's not about what you believe. But as he says here, I'm amazed that you're turning away from him who called you to a different gospel. You can be wrong about aliens all you want. And you can be wrong about what sports teams you support and what you predict and who you vote for. And all sorts of, when the rapture comes, when the, there are all sorts of things that you can be wrong about, and still you're not going to do a lot of damage overall. But if you're wrong about the gospel, you're not just leaving sound theology. You're leaving the one who theology is about. You're not just leaving good sense. You're leaving him. And Paul said, that's the problem. I don't know why you would do it. I don't know why people do a lot of things they do. Every time I talk to someone who's fouled up their life by falling into sin, I think, how could you do that? It doesn't make sense. You traded away. You had so much going for you, and you traded it away. How could you do that? I'm amazed that you could do that. Why you would trade away? And nobody plans on it. Nobody just thinks, you know, what I think would be really cool is to be an alcoholic. Never had a drink before, but I don't know. Just being the town drunk, laying around in the gutter, destroying my life, losing my family, sounds good to me. I think I'll start working on it. No, it happens. Sooner or later, you make that trade, you make that swap, and you go, what happened? This is that kind of a thing. It's getting to the point where you say, here I have Jesus. He says that he has done everything I need, that my salvation is just about his grace. I don't have to pay him back. I don't have to help him out. It's just received from him. And I have that, and then I go, but you know what? I want to help. I want to add my own work to that formula. And so here, God is laying a table before us, and he blesses us as he does, and then he says, look, I paid for it. I'm picking up the tab. And we go, oh, no, let us chip in on ours. And he's going, no, you can't. You don't have enough money to pay for yours. And we go, well, let me get the tip. Let me do something. And we transfer from where we're allowing him to bless us to where we want to help him out. And when we do that, it's not just having the wrong idea. It's leaving him. And that's why there's this curse, there's this anathema on those who convince people to leave the simple truth of the gospel, the grace of God, and to jump into religion, and to jump into self-discipline, and to move toward what we need to do to help God out. He goes, you're leaving the good news. 
Anything other than the gospel is bad news for you and me as far as our relationship with the Lord. But he, he points out that people are deliberately doing this. There are some in verse 7 who trouble you, stir you up. They want to mess your life up. And they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Why would someone want to do that? I mean, usually we think if people teach the wrong stuff, it's because they believe the wrong stuff. Now, it's not a deliberate deal. Well, as he was saying, no, sometimes it is a deliberate deal. And that's what makes it so horrible. That's what makes it so tragic. And we look at it and say, but wait a minute. If it's so simple, grace, he did it all. Jesus paid it all. Now, why would anyone want to pollute that, to pervert that? Well, we found out in verse 10, at least there's a hint to it, where he says, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And I would suggest to you that the reason why people pervert the gospel is because it sells. Is because the gospel, the truth of the gospel, isn't really what people want to hear most of the time. But this is such a serious error that, again, Paul says, look, even if I come and tell you something else, if I say, oh, that was gospel foundations, now I need to give you the real stuff. He goes, if I start adding anything to the gospel, let me be accursed. Let me be anathema. And he goes, not only that, if an angel shows up and says it, curse him. It's not right. Don't believe it. And then finally again in verse 9, hey, if anybody, anyone who takes you past the gospel and incorporates rules, let them be accursed. That's a serious thing. But the truth is, we were all accursed before we found Jesus Christ. And if you think that you can do something to earn status with him, then you're still lost. That's bad news for you. Now again, you go, now wait a minute. You're saying that these people were perverting the gospel in order to please men? How does that please men? That doesn't sound like something that's very good. If someone were to start a movement today that said, um, you know what you need to do to really be saved is to accept Jesus Christ and then follow the Old Testament law and do everything that the Old Testament says. And you got all the people in a stadium and you pumped them up on this and said, so the first step for you men is to come on down the aisle, get up out of your seats, the buses will wait, your friends will be there, and as we sing, just as I am, come down here, and if you haven't had that physical rite of circumcision, today's the day, now is the time. How many people do you think would come forward and go, yeah, sign me up? But see, there are a whole lot of ways that this perverse twisting of the gospel works. Now, on the one hand... There are people today who absolutely, if you listen to what they teach, you'd swear they were teaching salvation by works. They would deny it with their mouths, and yet the whole thrust of what they have to say is, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're sinning, this is wrong, that is wrong, those people are wrong, these people are wrong. And the message, it's hard to listen to it and say, is there some good news in here somewhere? Or is this just all about everything that's wrong? 
Now, you and I might listen to that and go, boy, I'm glad I don't have to listen to that every week. But you know what? For a lot of people, that message sells. And people are preaching that message of condemnation because they know that there are a lot of people in this world who almost have a sick need to be condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But some people, because they've been mistreated, um, those who have been abused are this way. If you've endured a lot of abuse, somehow on a certain level you think you deserved it. You feel condemned because someone else is telling you you're a bad person and they're punishing you and they tell you God is punishing you and he doesn't like you either. And it's almost like love feels like abuse. You, you get to the point where you think you deserve to be treated like that and you're uncomfortable if someone isn't beating you up and thrashing you. And so there are certain people who want to be in a legalistic system and so they are drawn in droves to people who will just pound them. But there are also people who are drawn to another kind of legalism. And this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. I would say most of the people that beat the sheep are way over here on the right side. You know, you don't drink and you can't smoke and you can't swear and you can't watch TV and you can't go to movies and here's how you should vote and here's what you should do. That's one kind of legalism. And it is there because it sells. Because people will come in droves to have someone get up there and make them feel bad about themselves. But there's another kind of legalism that's on the other spectrum. It's more of a liberalism. It's something that, that certainly in our country the last hundred years has become very predominant in the churches. And it wears a lot of different cloaks. But basically, it is the liberal sort of legalism that says okay, you don't have to worry about being good in terms of all those things that those fighting fundamentalists are harping on. Hey, we can drink, we can dance, we can smoke, we can cuss, yeah, we can do that stuff. Here's the thing, though. You know what? We need to focus on the real things, feeding the hungry and, and clothing the poor and being good people, and we are the world, and let's embrace everyone and accept everyone, and Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Jews and Catholics, and oh, we're just all one because we all, deep down inside, man is basically good. So let's just love the world, and then we're good. Let's just touch the world, and now we've made a difference. Where's the gospel See, the problem is, as we saw last week in the passage there in verse 4, the gospel, what it does is it delivers us from this present evil age, this eon. To, to opt for a liberalism says we don't really need to change except we can get better and better and we're capable of doing it on our own. It, it denies the change that needs to take place. Come on, you have to be blind to think we don't need to change. We do need to change. The question is, how does that change occur? The gospel says it happens because of something that God does within our hearts. And I promise you, if this is something that's radical to you, stick with us through the book of Galatians and you'll discover what it is to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not enough to just say, we can't change, so we don't have to. No, the point of the gospel is you need to change, and so let God do it. If you understand what he has done, you don't need to beat yourself up with fundamentalism, and at the same time, you don't need to give up and go into liberalism where you believe that somehow you can make it happen. 
You can do something worthwhile because we're all basically good people. Either extreme, it's legalism. It's just a question of what the rules are. The legalism on the left tells you to be politically correct. There are certain things you just can't say. Oh, I know it's there, but let's ignore it. The legalism on the right says, we're right, you're wrong. Either way, Paul would pronounce an anathema on it. Because this is not the way that we are designed to live. And as we add anything in, if we take it the gospel plus social work, or if we take the gospel plus a holiness that we will bring upon ourselves by our own discipline, either way, there's bad news because you can't do it. Sooner or later, you're going to look at all those good works that you've done and you're just going to be tired of it. Sooner or later, you're going to look at all those rules that you followed and you realize, I can't follow those rules anymore. And so there are these horrible contradictions that set in because we've left not just the gospel, but we've left Jesus. He's in the background, and what we bought into was religion. But the truth is, why do people do it? Because people love to take their choice between being torn down because they think they need that or by being built up with their own goodness And boy, look at what we can do. Look at what we have done. Let's elevate our own self-esteem and do it. Now, I'm sorry when I'm saying this and this. I'm not implying that you guys are a bunch of liberals and you guys are a bunch of fundamentalists and people in the middle, hey, they got the gospel. And I'm just doing that. But it's really tempting to fall into one of those legalistic extremes. It's very tempting because that's what sells That's what puts people in the seats. That's what sells books. That's what sells magazines. That's what sells almost every form of communication. Either look how bad the world is and we need to change it or look how bad the world is and we can change it. And the truth is, if it takes our eyes off the gospel, it's a perversion. It's it's a damnable heresy. It's something that isn't just wrong because it's a bad position. It's something that's wrong because it takes you away from the one who died to save you. Now, again, I'm sure there are some of you here that are already having problems with what I'm saying. Some of you may never come back because you're getting the impression that I'm just saying, hey, you're totally free. You just accept the grace of God and that's it. I am saying that. It's true. Oh, but won't people then just go out and do all sorts of sins unless you give them the rule book? Not really. Not if you understand the grace of God. Not if you see what he has done for you. Because when he frees you, he frees you to obey him from the heart. It's because it's what you want to do. You know, there's the catch. I knew there was one. No, just receive from him. It's his grace. Does that make you uncomfortable? Good. Because it makes me uncomfortable. I'm afraid that there are people who will take it the wrong way. And I feel like going, but here are a few rules that you better follow. But I'm not going to pervert the grace of God. I've had people tell me, you know, I know a couple that they've been going to your church for six months. And they're still living together in sin. 
And they say that you've never once told them that it's a sin to live together without being married. And I, it is a sin to live together without being married. So now there, I told you. <laughs> but if I made a point every week to list all the big sins, is that going to make you righteous? might make you feel guilty. might make you even decide, you know, I think we ought to. So then you move into separate houses and you're still doing the same thing just on dates. It's less convenient. If there isn't a change within your heart, I would say, wait for that to happen. And it's like, oh, that's scary. You mean, it's okay with you if people who are living in sin come to your church? Oh, man, you bet. I want them to come. And I believe that somehow if the grace of God settles into your life, he will begin to show you, not the rules, but the glorious freedom that comes from following him. Now, as much as I might be embarrassed by someone coming to my church and not knowing that, you know, fornication and adultery are a sin, and I try to touch on them when the word touches on them, but at the same time, I can't tell you how incredible it is when someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, we just started going to your church a couple of months ago, and boy, God's really speaking a lot of things to us, and we've been living together, and I, you never say anything about that, but it's just feeling kind of weird. Is there... Do you think maybe there's something that we should do differently? And it's like, man, then it was God doing it. It wasn't because I'm going down my checklist of rules and trying to make sure that I nail everyone before they leave. Instead, it's the Spirit of God working within people's hearts. And that's the only lasting change that happens. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, if you just leave it to that, most people aren't going to get it. And they're just going to go crazy doing bad things. Maybe, but you know what? They're going crazy doing bad things anyway. Do you think that in their strict legalistic environment of conservative religion, do you think that they are living up to those standards? I can tell you I've had examples in my own personal life with the church I grew up in, and I've seen it in so many other people. The more legalistic you are, so often the harder the fall when you realize you can't follow those rules. And sometimes these people who preach so hard against sin, the reason they're yelling so loud is that deep inside they're compromising themselves. There was an evangelist at one point who spoke out so hard and, and rigid against another evangelist who had fallen morally. And it was just a matter of weeks before he was caught and then he cried and repented in front of the world on television and a few weeks later he was caught again. See, the message is legalism will not make you good. It'll set you up to think you're good and it's going to leave you dashed on the rocks with an inability. You find out you can't live up to your own standards. You know, the, I have several friends and have had some great conversations with some people who are in the Latter-day Saints church, the Mormons. And it's sad because they are people who are teaching that it's God's grace plus works. And an angel, Moroni, told them that. And it's happening. They live under this structure. And if you know Mormons, most of them, you go, wow, they're really good people. I mean, what's wrong with that? Happy families, everything's going great. Hey, 98% of Utah voted for George Bush. Seems like they've got something going for them. <laughs> but listen, here's the problem. Number one, 
If you look at the state of Utah, it rates highest in the nation in suicides, especially for young people. Very high in alcoholism. The number one state in the country per capita for prescription psych meds, psychotropic drugs. Something's breaking down within a legalistic structure. And they would tell you that, okay, yeah, that's Utah, and yes, you know, most of Utah is Mormons, but they would say, if you do the test so that you see the people who are really into Mormonism, still in the church and active, and you leave out all the Jack Mormons and the others, then really we're not doing any worse than anyone else. Yeah, but what happened to those X people? What happened to those people who aren't following anymore? See, I can't just judge my own success based on the fact that everybody who's still friends of mine thinks I'm great. I need to realize, who have I left in the wake? Who have I left in the dust? Who have I hurt that I don't hear from anymore? And I have to factor that into the equation. And that legalism will always leave you cold. It does not work. And sad to say, and, I, and again, I, I say this with great compassion for my Mormon friends, that it's sad to live believing that you have to do it in order to achieve a standing with God because I know ultimately they, like the president of the Mormon church, Gordon Hinckley himself, when asked if he believes he's going to the celestial city, whether he's going to make it to heaven, he said, I don't know. He's devoted his entire life to following these man-made rules, this revelation from an angel, whatever you want to call it, but rather than accept the simplicity of the gospel, he's bought into a legalism, and he doesn't even know where he's going to spend eternity. And that, to me, isn't, you know, I'm not harping on, oh, those Mormons, anathema on them. I'm going, oh, man, this is so sad that their lives are falling apart. And if they would only believe what they say they do believe, the gospel. They would always say they believe the gospel. You talk to them, they, yeah. Salvation by grace through faith. Jesus was born, died, rose from... But when you add in other stuff that involves us performing, it has a sad ending. It's bad news now. It used to be good news, now it's bad news. And that's true, and you'll see it over and over again. People who are trying to live by following the rules cannot follow the rules. That's one thing I know for sure. And even if those rules are I need to love everyone and be compassionate, it's not going to happen. You can't live up to that. We aren't the world. We can't change it all. If we all get together, oh man, we'll just make a mess of things. We can't get together. We can't bring in the kingdom of God all of that self-actualization, all of that optimism, all the self-help literature. It's why somebody who really makes a living writing self-help literature has to keep writing more and more and more of it. The first one didn't help. So now you need another one and another one and another one. <laughs> Paul says, I'll give you some help literature. It's the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, rose again the third day. As the Philippian jailer said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And he goes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. To put anything else with it, to add to that, or even within our own, own hearts, as well-meaning as we may be, to motivate ourselves by the exterior, by man's rules, by worrying about what people think of us, by living our lives out of fear of crossing someone. Living our lives any way other than receiving the glorious grace of God and understanding that that's it. 
My job is to respond to that. And when he changes me on the inside, I'll change on the outside. But I'm not going to play a game. And I'm not going to pretend. And I will not pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ by putting man-made elements with it because people like to hear that. That's anathema. That's a horrible thing to do. And that kind of mentality drives people away from Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the knowledge that he paid it all. That when he cried on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. There's nothing that we have to do but receive the grace of our loving Lord. Lord, we will risk being offensive to both ends of the spectrum rather than to take the risk of driving someone away from you because we've made up chapter two of the gospel. Lord, help us to live in the simplicity of the gospel. As we study this book of Galatians, change us from the inside. We want to be delivered from this evil age, but we need it to happen from our hearts. So help us to focus on you, to receive your work, and not to worry about all that we need to do. Change us, Lord, as you see fit, by your timing, and in your way, and by your Spirit, teach us to walk in the Spirit. Lord, how we thank you that you made it simple. That the thing that matters to us, and the thing that matters to you, is something that can be boiled down into one little sentence, and it's great news for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all.